everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Edric Show. I am your host, Edric Jerome. As always, this is the place for intelligent conversation with interesting people. Please go ahead and hit that subscribe button below as we continue to grow this thing from the ground up. Today, I'm honored to have Mr. Dion Price as my guest. Dion has more than 25 years of experience as a youth life skills coach, as well as developing and directing programs geared towards youth uh, improvement and development. His bi-weekly column, This Youth Generation, which chronicles modern youth culture, reaches hundreds of thousands of readers nationwide and can be read in several daily newspapers, including the Fairfield Daily Republic, Oakland Post, the LA Sentinel, and the New York Times. That's a busy man. Dion has dedicated most of his adult life to the field of youth and community service through uh, his organization, This Youth Generation, which offers motivational talks and workshops for parents and educators, as well as students throughout the United States. His brand of motivational speaking is delivered with humor, and he relies on years of experience as a content expert in this field. Dion is also an author of the very funny book, Raised in Hell, a nonfiction family dramedy about the hardships of growing up in a dysfunctional family, but it's not a sad book at all. And I encourage everybody to pick it up because it is very funny and well-written. Last but not least, Dion is the host of the online web show entitled This Youth Generation. Dion, good to see you, my brother. Welcome to The Edric Show. Thank you. Thank you so much. Good talking to you again. Likewise, man. So let's get into it. Um, let's start out with your organization, uh, This Youth Generation. Talk to us about that and uh, what some of the goals are around that organization. Well, this youth generation is just that. My personal mission is to improve the quality of life for young people. And it's been my mission since my adult life. And uh, that has become my life's work. It's been my secular work. It has been my everyday work, my community work. And everything that I've been involved in most of my adult life has been involved around improving the quality of life of young people, either in my, um, by way of juvenile halls when I first started as a youth counselor or with the YMCA the Job Corps, and still what I do now as director. But all that is backdropped by my own personal mission to teach life skills through uh, edutainment, educational entertainment, storytelling, any engaging activity. So that's what this youth generation is. Right now it's grown into or evolved into an online youth life skills academy and is fueled by the column, by the work, and all that is connected to this youth generation. So it's available for you know, parents, youth, youth workers, youth organizations, school districts. They can use this just as a supplemental tool to help improve the quality of life for them. And, and to be involved in work like this uh, for the number of years you've been in it and what you give to it when you give everything to it, um, where did that come from? How, why is this so important to you and, and what motivated you to get started in this type of work? Great question. It's, it's, it's being a product of the environment and the product of challenging youth and all of the issues and intricate uh, issues and, and barriers that young people face. I faced that and it affected me and it affected other people in, in very various ways. So it impacted me in such a way, which is also depicted in the book Race in Hell, that you can overcome these challenging environments. Here's the thing. Young people have no control of the environment that they're subjected to. We are uh, responsible. And I say we, I say adults are responsible for the environment that their young people or children or youth are in. I had no control over my family, 
for what I was born into, but I was forced, unfortunately, to navigate an alcoholic mother, no father, and a, a very challenging and violent environment. That was not my fault. That was just the, the, the hand that I was dealt. To this day, young people are given an environment that's not their fault. It's our fault. Our generation set them up, in my opinion, for failure for this challenging environment, right? Where education out of control, the environment is, is violent, and, and there's all these, these obstacles, but it's not their fault. So they have to deal with the decisions that our generation has made. So my personal mission, when I deal with young people, I feel we're personally responsible for the trifling environment that some of our young people are faced with. So I start with an apology when I deal with young people. I apologize for the conditions that you guys are faced to deal with because it was our generation's bad decisions that made it more difficult for you. Well said. Um, and you've been doing this, like I say, for more than 25 years. And so I imagine, and maybe, maybe, maybe not, the messages and the way you approach this work, say, 20 years ago with one generation, because you're probably now with sons and daughters of folks who maybe have come through your, your academy before. So how have you either tailored your message, reworked your message? How have you kept that message consistent to meet the needs of the generation from 20 years ago as opposed to the generation now? Great question. And that's also the message that I do indirectly for parents and youth workers and institutions and youth programs. We have to stay relevant hmm. and we have to continue to monitor the environment because every youth culture, it changes every 10 or even more. It evolves. And if we don't monitor the environment and make the necessary adjustments, you will become a casualty of that environment. And, and that, that goes for the weather. If the weather changes, and it's 100 degrees outside, you got to make the adjustments, right? Or you become a casualty. If it's freezing outside, you make the adjustment or you become a casualty. Our youth environment, our culture is changing rapidly. And if we don't adjust to it, you will become a casualty. There's some youth parenting. My mother had no idea because she was disconnected to a youth culture that she had me in, 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 in situations that made it more stressful for me. For example, in my, in my day, you had everybody was wearing you know, Nikes and all this leather stuff. She, she bought me a pair of upside down Nikes, right? That, not knowing the culture of the youth and set me up a fact. Imagine a kid in middle school going to school with some up down, upside down, backwards. They were called Ekes. It was Nikes backwards. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I eagerly wore these things to school and it was traumatizing because some of that stuff put on campus. Hey, Dion got some upside down Nikes. If it was traumatized, I mean, literally, I, I left school early. It was, it was damaging, right? Imagine somebody with some upside down. Right. So she was unaware of that, right? So we, we, we have to monitor our environment. Let's stay connected with the culture so we can be relevant. I think no matter how old or generation we are, we can, we can still not compromise our principles, but let's embrace youth culture so we can better understand it and we can be better connected the youth that we serve, including our very own children. And, and playing off of that theme, um, so the young people today are, are different. They're different, and that's, and that's how it's supposed to be. They have so much exposure to the world, so much exposure to information, good and bad. Um, what are some of the things, you, some of the specific challenges you see today that maybe uh, for young people that maybe other generations didn't have to deal with? Oh, yeah. So back in, the, in our day, generation, and I'm assuming we're in the same generation, you had to be worried about the people you hung around physically and literally, okay? Just stay away from that corner, right? Right? There's a dog down that street. Don't go down this route, route right? Right, right. Go to school 
you, you go down this block, you may be jacked and maybe some gang connection. It was easier to avoid some of the hazards because it was physical. Nowadays, the hazards are not physical. It's influential. It's online. It's in their iPod. It's on their cell phone. There's a dangerously negative and ill-spirited influence that our young people have more of an access to than we ever did because of the media access to them. I think in one of the recent columns in this generation, I compared the negative influences nowadays is deadlier than the coronavirus. The mm -hmm. ill-spirited influence that our young people have access to is much deadlier. My son, my last, is 17. I have no idea who's in his ear and who is in his mind on a daily basis. I listened to his music and I was like, ah, really? <laughs> Meanwhile, in our culture, what did you have to listen to? You had to listen to everything your parent had on that right. stereo. Right. Right? Exactly. Like, the big console, man, with the with the eight track and the yeah, exactly. The vinyl behind you. So that therefore our, our parents influenced us musically and entertainment. Remember, we only had three channels back in the day, ABC, NBC, and CBS. So we always watching Staff and the Sun and Good Times and all that. We always raised on the same thing. There are multi-millions and thousands of different venues that our young people are being influenced that we have no control over. And a lot of it is unhealthy. So I say the biggest challenge to our young people now is having our young people, our mentors, their parents be the main influence on them, which is very challenging nowadays because of the negative aspect and the amount of oversaturated negative influence that our young people have access to on the digital world. Um, you and I were talking before we came on uh, a couple of years ago, we were, um, we helped, with the youth summit for the Mount Calvary Baptist church, shout out to Mount Calvary Baptist church. And I remember vividly, man, we uh, were in the room with all of the young men. And I believe there was a gentleman who was a uh, former San Francisco police officer. And he was talking about police brutality and things that still going on today. So from your perspective, man, especially with our young men, police brutality today, where are we? How, how come we're still, talking about this and why is it such a potent impact on our young men today? Oh yeah, because the ill-spirited influence of hate and violence has always been there. I always compare the ill-spirited influence that resulted in the torture and death of Emmett Till in 1955. Hmm. That ill-spirited influence is still here, right? Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we have more access to the vast uh, amount of it happening all over this country now. So it hasn't gone anywhere, and it's not going to change. That's beyond our pay grade, pay grade to solve. We think we're not going to solve hate and violence. We're not going to even happen in our lifetime. That's that's for that's a higher grade. It's not our it's not our control. Right. Hmm. All we can do is try to help them navigate. So yes, it's still happening. And what's happening now is our young people have a lot more rebellion in them, right? Than they than we did back in the day. Why? Because we were trained as a young culture that. Your parents gave you a physical discipline preparing you that if you do this, they're going to kill you. Mm -hmm. So this what you got at home was training you, to, 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 giving you a little bit of self-control. Now, our young generation now don't have that old school discipline. So they grow up with, with, with this, 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 this lack of, com of, 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 of consequences, and they're much more rebellious, they're much more angry. But that ill-spirited influence and hate is still there. And now that hate is given to young in, individuals with authority and a license to kill. So it's infiltrated our police departments with people who have this intrinsic bias and they're, 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 they're able to, to show that. 
So you put all those things together and now you and access to more of these things that are happening all over the world thanks to the internet and the social media, then it's then you, you you have what we have today. Some of these tragedies happening that appear to be happening every week. Hmm. Um, shifting gears now, you use humor quite a bit. You're funny, funny man, um, just naturally funny, and but you've been able to weave humor in and out of your work, and and you use that as a way to 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 get the message across. So, talk to me about your sense of humor. Where did you develop it? Uh, it's prevalent in your book, Raised in Hell. Talk to me about your sense of humor, man, and why that's such a part of what you do. Well, it's just a natural, I guess, um, it was a lack of defense net mechanism. Uh, I always share with folks, my mother um, passed away in 2017. Oh, my condolences. Uh, yeah, thank you. And she, impl- she implied that because she gave us, um, with her character, character uh, charisma, everything we needed. You couldn't be sensitive in our house, right? She, she would hit us with all this uh, insult, everything we needed. So by the time we left the house, Anybody bullied us or teased us? I'm like, well, this all y'all got? My mother, mother insulted me everything. She had a, she gave it to us all. And all it was also a defense mechanism, so we were able because we were so impoverished, right? So I, I had to make sure that I, I was defending myself by using humor. And all the brothers, my older brother Herman, who's uh, the oldest of us, and he always said, it's better to laugh about it than cry about it. Mm. And obviously, uh, uh, everything's not a laughing matter. But it sure helped you minimize the stress of growing up, of growing up in a, a very challenging and impoverished condition if you were able to make light of the situation. Well, if your mom showed up with a drunk with a crooked wig, blonde wig on, looking like a black harp on March, you can cry. <laughs> she showed up to dance with me and my brother, like, whose mother is that? And we're like, she said that. I'm like, so we're better to laugh about it because we had fun with it, right? And with with the shoes that they so my mother was a was an alcoholic. She, her her drink of choice was a was a screwdriver. Mm-hmm. So so she would put in vodka and orange juice, right? So vodka is clear. So she would drink this orange juice. I thought it was orange juice, but it was actually that vodka. And until I was twelve years old, I had this phobia of orange juice. I thought it was the orange juice that had her losing her dog. Wow. She was gonna start cutting people out, throwing knives at people. I'm like, what the hell is in that orange juice that's making me? Wow. And I was that orange juice, right? So, uh, so making light of it made it easier for us to deal with, and it also reduced the stress. And then as I become an, became an adult, I started telling these funny stories in, uh, back in the day in these nightclubs. And at the same time, I was working at, at a Hillcrest Juvenile Hall in San Mateo, and I was telling the same stories at the end zone nightclub to the kids in the juvenile hall as a teaching tool. I said, wait a minute. So if I can reach them through humor, it's a good way to connect before you correct. Hmm. So that's my way of uh, dealing with my teaching style. Um, let's dive into the book, Raised in Hell. Again, get that book. It's a great read in and of itself. The messaging and then just sharing. And it's a personal book. I mean, you put, some, you put it out there, man. You, you, there's no fear uh, in, in what you've put out there to the world. So talk to us about the book, Raised in Hell. How did it come about? And, uh, you know, what prompted you to, to want to put that story out? Thank you for that. It's- and, uh, and it's now, it, it, it evolved. It was actually a therapy session. I, and I was telling these stories all along because I used the tool. Uh, storytelling has always been an art form in our culture for centuries. And your personal story is also a, a teaching tool for self-gratification and therapeutic reasons. But when it can be a tool of healing, then it's even more of a value for you to share those things. I've learned 
that those things I went through in the 80s, that talking about impoverished conditions, talking about violence, gang violence, drug addiction, uh, broken families, drop family drama, all that stuff, although it was 30, almost 40 years ago, is it still happening today? Absolutely. Every generation is still facing those very same things. So can someone learn from what I went through in raising hell, whether you're a parent, a foster care person, a foster kid, someone, every generation can still use the lessons inside raised in hell as a teaching tool, how we can navigate as anecdotes to it, right? So that's how it came about, me journaling and me telling these stories, and it became a piece that I can use. I'm also, uh, the connection between how it's written and how it's told, all right? And that's what a connection, I love, I, I love telling the story uh, and, and want, being able to articulate it through the book different mediums. So I took it a step further and turned Raised in Hell into a one-man show. It's also a pop part of the podcast. It's on audio and it's also a digital version of it. So people can still take pieces of that and get it in different venues. So it's going pretty well and I want to take it to the next level and turn it into a, a one-man show about an hour long so people can really experience it in, the, in, in a different setting. Um. There's one thing, though, man, I, I do have a little bit of a pushback against you, and I'm just going to share it with the, with the audience. I see you on Facebook all the time and you're cool and everything. And you got your you got your usually you're wearing a, a Dodger hat. So I just want to, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, just to say, man, look, I, I know you're a Dodger fan. Dodgers are playing the, the Giants right now while we're recording this. But Dodger hats, where's the Dodger love come from? And I ain't going to hold it against you, but I just wanted to flex a little bit just so you know. You, you gotta be like, you may have some dodgy gear. I, I, I know. Everywhere I go, you're right. And you got to be on that. And I love that. But I, I appreciate that. What, what it came with my childhood, growing up in LA, of course, I'm Dodgers, Lakers, and Raiders. Well, let me put that in order. Lakers, Dodgers, okay. Raiders. Then I became a Raider fan in the Marcus Allen Super Bowl days, right? So no matter where the Raiders are, to me, they're always the LA Raiders in route, right? You know, right. they start smoking. But the right. Dodgers, my older brother Michael took me to my first Dodger game. And to this day, the impact of that first experience which speaks to the emotional link of how emotional experience can last a long. I still smell the, the grass. I remember the Davy Lope, the Ron said that nine-year infield. That would never forget that first Dodger dog. So I fell in love with the Dodgers in the early 70s. And I've been there ever since. And I'm loving right now. Mookie hurt y'all feelings last yes, night. Yes, he did, man. Yes, he did. Uh, you know, we always it's always in love, but but and that's a good thing. We can have these kind of rivalries and just enjoy the game. Like you, man. Um, I remember when my mom and dad and my grandfather would come out, they'd take me to the Giants games. And I'm old enough for my audience, I don't care to say it. I'm old enough. I've seen Willie Mays, I've seen Pete Rose, I've seen the greats, right? I used to see those Dodger infields with Ron Say and Steve Garvey and all those cats. But the one thing my grandfather told me that I didn't understand why black people are so attracted to the National League. He told me that because Jackie Robinson went with the Dodgers, no matter where black people were in this country, we gravitated to the National League. It, uh, and, and as you know, you know, because you're a baseball scholar, Jackie Robinson brought that Negro League style of play to the major leagues. And so it was exciting. And so. And I was like, okay, that's why my family loves the National League. Your family, you didn't go to Angel Games, <laughs> right? right? No. We didn't go to A's Games. And, it, and so anyway, I just thought I'd share that with you because we're similar in, in generation. 
And it, it stuck with me. So props to all of the great baseball players of the past. You're right. Walking in the grass, the smell. We got to get back to that, man. I think I think there was something to that for us and how we are and how we develop and our love of sports. So people fall back in love in baseball because we fall out. We fell out of love with baseball. I'm sure you heard over the All Star break when Mookie Betts broke. Yes, we need more black people at the stadium, and he was right on the money. How did we fall out of love with a game that we dominated and we celebrated for so many years? What happened? Right, right. right. So again, conversation we'll have at a later date, man. But. Um, as we wrap this thing up, if people want to get more information about your organizations, of course, we'll put everything in the description, links, everything. But if people want to get a hold of you, get more information about your organization, where can they go? Yeah, DionDPrice.com. DionDPrice.com. I have the link. We have access to the online life skills academy, uh, access to the book, the digital version, the physical version. If you want a signed copy of Raising Hell, I can certainly get that to you in a short period of time. The, um, the, um, the Facebook page, This Two Generation as well. I also have a YouTube channel, also entitled This Youth Generation. So not hard to find. And I would encourage people to have these discussions we have. I have them every now and then based on the column. And I'll have a discussion. And if you want to chime in on some of these very healthy conversations, we'll be having these on a, on a weekly basis on the podcast, Life of a Youth Worker as well. All right. Well, man, it's always a pleasure to see you. You're doing such great work. Keep it up. Keep doing what you do, man. You're so full of energy. And I just appreciate you, man. And like I said, we don't I, we, we don't talk as much as we should, but right. I'm always seeing you and following you and, and knowing what you're doing, man. So kudos to you and your organization. Again, we'll put all the links uh, in the description. So Dion Price, thank you for coming on the Edric Show, man. I appreciate you. Back at you, same you. I appreciate the work you do. And together, we can all improve the quality of life for young people by doing what we do. Absolutely. Absolutely. This has been the Edric Show. I'm your host, Edric Jerome. Again, this is the place for intelligent conversation with interesting people. Hit that subscribe button. We're also on Facebook and on Instagram, Edric Show. You can find us very easily. Thank you for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next episode.